The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last Sunday we talked about Jesus' response to James and John's bold request to be seated on Jesus' left and right in his glory, which led Jesus then to teach all 12 of his disciples about greatness. He explained that greatness in the kingdom of God is not measured by the worldly standards of success or power or wealth that one attains. Rather, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured by the extent that one lifts others up. But today, I want to talk about limits and help us to recognize that as humans, there are limits to what or how much we can do in that regard of lifting others up. There's limits to it. So I'm saying that God calls us to be a people intent on lifting lifting others up, but he also created us with limitations to how much or what we can do because we are humans and we're not God. But the good news is that as we discern and embrace what our limits are, we will become more free and more effective in lifting others up because we'll be doing it in accordance with our unique gifts and callings. I recently came across a story on a blog by a woman named Michelle who had a humorous encounter with her human limits. This occurred when a dear friend and mentor asked her for a favor. She said this, this woman, this friend and mentor, had invested in her life in such meaningful ways that she would literally run through a wall for this lady if she could. So when she asked for a favor, Michelle eagerly jumped at the opportunity, and her assignment was simple. Drive her friend to the hospital for a minor procedure, listen to the post-op care instructions from the nurse, and then drive her friend back home. Well, here's how she reports that that went. 7.30 a.m., surgery begins. I take a few sips of horrific waiting room coffee, read the newspaper, and watch the Today Show. 8.15 a.m., surgery successful. I head to post-op room to greet patient, my friend, and listen to post-op instructions. 8.20 a.m., 
As I walk through the post-op room, I am hit with the antiseptic, sterile smell of the hospital. 8.22 a.m. I greet my friend and suddenly realize I didn't anticipate seeing stitches and blood when agreeing to this favor. As one with an unusually queasy disposition, I begin to get a little antsy. 8.24 a.m. With increased resolve, I listen to the nurse describe the surgery. I put on a bright, encouraging face for the patient and seek to ignore the slight nausea in my stomach. 8.28-ish. Resolve weakens. Clamminess begins. Nausea increases. 8.30-ish. I note to the nurse I don't feel well and proceed to stick my head between my knees. I mumble I'm going down and in my desperate state think the only logical thing to do is to lie in the fetal position on the cool hospital floor despite the fact I would be sprawled in the aisle of the post-op room. Broom goes black. 8.33-ish. I wake to an oxygen mask on my face a bag of ice on my chest, and a blood pressure gauge around my arm. Being my seventh pass out, none of this is new to me. When I eagerly agreed to the task of caring for my friend post-surgery, I forgot one minor, minor detail about myself. Vasovagal syncope, a disorder where your body overreacts to certain triggers, such as the sight of blood. I'd like to think that this condition is due to my great empathy for the pain of others, but really, it's just about having a weak stomach, reports Michelle. The morning ends with me being carted out of the hospital in a wheelchair, wet rag around my neck, as my dear post-op friend and mentor walks beside me (laughs) and makes alternative plans to get both of us home. Michelle concludes, sometimes life reminds us of our limits. The Lord calls us to be a people intent on lifting others up, but he also created us with limits to what or how much we can do. But the good news is that as we discern and embrace what our personal limits are, we will become more free and more effective in lifting others up according to our unique gifts and callings, and submitted to those limits. We find these truths demonstrated even in the person of Jesus in this morning's gospel passage. Our lectionary actually appointed us to read a passage from Mark's gospel describing Jesus' healing the blindness of a beggar named Bartimaeus. But having preached on that a few times in my years here, today I had us look instead at a passage from the Gospel of Matthew that's not covered in our three-year lectionary cycle of Sunday Scriptures, but tells of a similar story to the healing of Bartimaeus. But here, Jesus heals two men of their blindness. Now, Matthew may even be describing the same event as Mark was. After all, one of these two men could have been named Bartimaeus. But there is an element of the healing, as Matthew describes it, that I want to highlight this morning. 
And that is Jesus' initial hesitation, it would seem, to heal these men. And his request after he heals them, that they keep it a secret, not his request, his command. When Jesus is passing by and these men call out, have mercy on us, son of David. We don't see Jesus stop in his tracks and heal him right there on the side of the road in front of everybody. No, he keeps walking. He actually heads indoors, Matthew says, inside maybe a house. I don't know, which requires these blind men to actually follow after him, which is easier said than done, right? I mean, they're blind. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus. Then after they affirm, these two men affirm their faith in Jesus, he touches their eyes and their sight is restored. But then Jesus warns them sternly, as Father Jim read. Jesus says, see that no one knows about this. Although the two men completely disregard this request. But there are many, many occasions actually where Jesus asks people to keep quiet about what he's done for them. If you've read the Gospels much, scholars call this the messianic secret. When Jesus tells people, he's helped to keep quiet about it. And one Orthodox scholar, Frederica Matthews Green, notes that most of these occasions when Jesus tells the person that actually happen in Mark. And almost all of the instances of Jesus doing this, telling someone to keep what he's done secret, relate, you know, happen after a healing, as opposed to after delivering someone a demon or, you know, teaching them something. He doesn't teach something and say, don't tell, right? Now, there are a few different theories about why Jesus would sometimes tell people to keep things quiet, and there may be multiple reasons. But one likely reason, which Green points out, is as simple and practical as crowd control. Crowd control. The Gospels often describe the response to Jesus healing someone being the crowds swarming around him, overwhelming essentially him and his disciples. And we know, of course, we can know logically, that there's no way Jesus could heal everybody who wanted healing. The need for physical healing is unending, right? And so here in the healing of these two blind men, Jesus does it only after they pursue him indoors instead of doing it out in public where more people would see. And Jesus asked them to keep quiet about what he's done for them. And I would suggest one of the reasons is Jesus is being realistic about himself, about his limitations as a human being. Now, Jesus is a unique case, of course, and that he is the Son of God, right? He's both human and divine. He's the second person of the Trinity. But when Jesus chose to become human, we can say definitively that he submitted to the limitations that come with being human. That's kind of critical, actually, to him becoming human, that he would experience the things we experience, including human limitations. To be human is to be limited in what we can do for others, never capable 
of meeting all the needs that we may encounter or become aware of, right? And during Jesus' earthly life, he was no exception. There was a limit to the number of people whom he could give his time or energy to to heal, right? I mean, he had to sleep like the rest of us, right? There are only so many hours in a day. And crucially, Jesus also understood that healing was not his ultimate or highest calling. Healing was not Jesus' ultimate or highest calling. Now, this isn't to say that the healings Jesus performed didn't have any value. Certainly, they meant something to those who were healed or delivered. But more importantly, the purpose of the healings is they were signs of the kingdom that he was ushering in, the new way of living in relationship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. The healing of these two men's blindness was meant to signal both that salvation was near that it was coming through Jesus, and it was a symbol of the spiritual salvation that Jesus would bring. Right? A physical healing was a symbol of a spiritual salvation. Right, Sending what message? That Christ intends to cure all of us who follow him of the, the spiritual blindness caused by our sin. But make no mistake... That was not ultimate, right? Jesus' primary calling was his teaching about the kingdom, of the ways of the kingdom, so we would understand how to live in it, and the ushering in of that kingdom, most importantly, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. In fact, what these two men do immediately following their healing illuminates precisely for us why Jesus' calling of saving people from their sins was more important than performing healings, right? After Jesus instructs them not to go tell everyone what he's just done, it is really remarkable how quickly these two disobey exactly what he said, right? Now, they probably don't think it's a big deal, right? I mean, in their minds, common sense probably told them that Jesus would want to become as famous as he could be, doesn't everybody? <laughs> And yet this logic, which probably seems so insightful to them, highlights the foolishness that results from us human beings leaning on our own understanding. Right? Unbeknownst to them, they were causing Jesus problems that day. Their thanks for him healing them was to totally change his plans for the day, probably, and create new obstacles to him doing what God wanted him, to, what the Father wanted him to do. So we could even say that, that their telling everyone did harm to Jesus, right? By making, by obstruct, obstructing God's given purpose for him. So, ironically, these men have just been healed of their physical blindness, but they have not yet been healed of their spiritual blindness caused by sin, clearly. And so their immediate disobedience of being, after being healed is a reminder that as wonderful as physical healings might be, they are not what human beings need most of all, not even close. Most of all, we need salvation from our sin. 
But back to Jesus. He had clearly discerned his limits, hadn't he? His limits of time, his limits of energy, and the limit of his ultimate calling, that God the Father's ultimate calling on his earthly life was not to provide everyone and their brother with physical healing, but to rescue through his action, his teaching and his action on the, death, uh, on the cross and resurrection, to rescue us from our sin. God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal, that is an eternal quality and quantity of life, rescued from the effects of our sin. And because Jesus understood these limitations and embraced them, he was able to abstain from healing everybody and not feel bad about it. Not feel guilty about it. At the end of his life, he'll say to the Father, he had done everything God had asked him to do. And yet we know he didn't heal tons of people, right? God has called us, not just Jesus, but all of us who follow Jesus, to be a people intent on lifting others up. But he also designed us to be limited in what we can do. The good news, though, is that as we discern and embrace what our limits are, we'll become more free and more effective in lifting others up because we'll be doing it in accordance with our unique gifts and callings and in light of our limits. So let's dig in a little, a little more as to why this really is good news that we are made with limits. When his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Peter Scazzaro has a whole chapter on limits. And there he insists that our limits are gifts. You may wonder, how can that be? They seem like a pain. They seem like they limit us, right? Well, for starters, knowing that we are limited allows us to understand that with all of the need in the world, do you ever just get overwhelmed at the amount of need in the world? And I'm not just talking about turning on the news, right, or seeing those commercials that are trying to get you to donate or something. I'm talking about, like, people we know, right, people we know personally and love. Do you ever just feel overwhelmed by the brokenness? Or is that just me? Well, the gift of God creating us as limited beings can allow us to understand that it is not our responsibility to fix it all. Now, this isn't to say we should be apathetic, that we should do nothing, right? Jesus has called us to seek to lift others up, but within our human limitations, in accordance with our gifts and callings. He is God, though. We are not God. I know that's obvious. Sometimes it bears repeating, right? There's a legend that when Pope John XXIII, who who was about, you know, a little over a century ago, when, when he said his prayers at night, this pope would tell God, well, God, I did my best. It's your church, so I'm going to bed now. Seems like that Pope got it, right? He, he understood, even as the Pope, right? Where it'd be really tempting to read your own press clippings or 
what their theology says about you. It's comforting to know that the Pope understood his limits. So what then are examples of limits? How might we identify limits specific to our lives? Well, Scazzaro suggests that six questions can be asked to identify our limits. Let's go over them briefly. First, there may be limits of personality or temperament. So we're going to ask ourselves, what are my limits of personality or temperament? Whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert, whether I'm spontaneous and creative or, or orderly and controlled, whether I'm easygoing or driven, whether I'm bold or risk-averse. In either direction, these are all limits. These are ways God made us uniquely, right? So first thing's personality and temperament. Second is the current season of life that we are in. Right, The season of life we're in may bring with it limits that maybe another season of our lives wouldn't have. Right, If I'm a parent with small children, hypothetically, there's going to be limits that come with that, that I need to embrace, that if I keep pushing against them always, it's not going to help me right, or help anybody. Right? But other things, you know, if you're in a season of going to school, if you're in a season of financial prosperity or financial struggle, these are all seasons with specific limitations. So that's the second. Third would be our status as either married or single. If we are married, or excuse me, if we are single, this would lead us to ask, what do I need to do today to live out a healthy singleness for Christ? And if we're married, this should lead us to ask, what do I need to do today to live out a healthy marriage for Christ? So our our marital status is important. Fourth would be any limits we have to our emotional, physical, or intellectual capacities. For example, when I was in seminary, there's a lot of pressure, perceived pressure, people to go get their PhDs, right? I knew... Number one, I did not have the intellectual capacity to do that. I didn't have the educational background, and I didn't want to do that, right? I had no calling to do that. So it's like, no, right? Even if my ego wanted to, hey, one more degree, blow up my balloon a little more, right? Fifth would be limits inherited from our family of origin. These could particularly be circumstances we grew up in. Right? Even, even limits from negative circumstances, though, God can turn into gifts. Right? Particularly as we seek healing where, where it's needed. And then sixth, and most obvious, I think, is the limit of our time. None of us can do it all. Right? None of us can do it all. Scripture tells us, teach us to number our days, Lord. Right? But Scazzaro observes that typically we tend to resent the limits in our lives rather than viewing them as gifts, right? To be frustrated by them. This is often because we see our limitations as obstacles to power and control, right? In other words, our sinful impulse to displace God in our lives makes us hate our limits, right? 
What do they say the ego is an acronym for? Edging God out. But Scazzaro suggests there are actually two different ways that our limitations can function as gifts. I need to say this. First of all, there are limits that we need to receive and submit to. These are the type of limits we've been talking about this morning so far. These would be limits on our time, our energy, also the limits you know, of our unique gifts, our unique life circumstances, and so on. But there is a second category of gifts of limits that God does not intend for us to submit to, necessarily, but rather to break through by faith with his help. You say, well, what would, be, what would that be? Well, some examples from some biblical stories would be, take the story of Sarah and Abraham, right? They had the limit of being beyond the age of childbearing, Right? like well beyond it, like 90 years old, right? But God put a calling on their life. He made a promise about their life that would require them to have a child. And so they believed that promise that God gave them, which probably led them to give some opportunities for God to let Sarah conceive. We won't get into that. And it came to pass. Or let's take the limit of the 12 disciples. We're told that these were not highly educated, naturally gifted, or well-networked people. Right? They had no prior leadership experience when Jesus called them. And yet God helped them to break through those limits and to lead the most important movement of human history, right? the church following Jesus. So as you can probably see, there are actually two opposite ways God may want us to respond to different limits. So the crucial challenge for all of us, really crucial, is to discern which limits in our lives God wants us to receive versus which limits God is calling us to break through with his help. And sometimes, as I see it, sometimes a limit may have the potential to be a gift in both of those ways, depending on the situation. For example, let's say someone is an introvert, right? And they've been social for two nights in a row, right? Investing in relationships. But they know that as an introvert, they need some downtime some time alone to recharge. So they may then decline an invitation that would require them to be social, that might bring about a lot of good theoretically. They might decline that invitation on the third night because they know their limits, right? They know they got to refill that tank. That's an example of them probably needing to receive a limit of their temperament, right? I mean, this has to be done in relationship with God and prayer, but generally speaking. Yet the same person, right, the same person who's an introvert may later find themselves in a circumstance where let's say they see a visitor to church who for some reason is being ignored at fellowship hour, sitting by themselves. Well, this may be an instance where the call of love would be for this introvert to go beyond their comfort zone and seek that person out, right? And yet, 
they might also need God's help to actually do it, right? To actually make that choice and not choose comfort, right? So that would be where the limit of introversion is a limit to break through. Does that make sense? The limits God intends for us to break through with, you know, break through with His help, these are opportunities to see God's faithfulness, aren't they? Oh, God helped me do something I knew I didn't really have it in myself to do. Then there are also these limits that God intends for us to receive and to not try to break through. And they are gifts to us still because they protect us from harming ourselves, right? That introvert going many nights, you know, and just being worthless at the end of it, unable to, to give anything to anybody, right? These kind of limits help us protect us from harming ourselves, from harming others, or from harming God's work, right? As the two guys in our gospel probably did. Another example from Scripture of someone, someone having a knowledge of their limits that they need to submit to and receive and this keeping them from, from harming God's work is in John the Baptist. Right? I've reprinted this in your bulletin. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, John the Baptist's disciples are upset. Right? They're upset because they see that Jesus, this Jesus, whomever he is, is baptizing, verse 22. So they come to John the Baptist saying, Rabbi, that man that you testified about, by the way, that you baptized... He's baptizing and everybody's going to him now. You know, what gives? Our numbers are dropping, John the Baptist. How does John reply? That's really cool. But he, he replies by acknowledging the limits of the calling God had given him. Verse 27. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, remember? Remember, guys? I told you I wasn't the Messiah. I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom, Jesus' voice, right? That joy is mine, John says. John is happy about it. He's happy to see them flocking to Jesus. And it's now complete. Verse 30, he, Jesus, must become greater now. I must become less. God calls us to be a people intent on lifting others up, but also knowing our limitations knowing that there are limitations to how much we can do, to what we can do, because we are humans, because He is God and we are not. And as we discern and embrace what these limits are, it's actually going to make us more free and less exhausted, actually, less frustrated probably, and more effective in lifting others up. As Michelle, the woman who fainted, later explained, she said, quote, Embracing our limits does not mean staying in our comfort zone, avoiding things that are hard, or passing up opportunities to trust God to empower us to do things we can only do in His power and strength. 
But embracing your limits does mean knowing yourself well, recognizing your unique limitations, and seeking the Lord for discernment. It also means not comparing your journey, your schedule, your capacity to others, right? That's a fool's errand, right? It means taking note of how many hours of sleep you need per night to function well. How many outside activities or opportunities you or your family can say yes to and remain sane and connected to one another? And how those choices relate to your overall mission to love God and love others. Most importantly, she says, embracing our limits means remaining connected to the very source of life, Jesus himself. As we do abide in him, we can trust that he will produce a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness in us. So I want you to, I want to ask, what limits are frustrating you right now? But that God wants you to receive, to accept, to grieve, maybe. Or there are situations where God wants us to seek his help, to overcome a limit for his glory. Will you pray about this with me? Lord, it is hard sometimes to admit that we're limited. Thank you for the gift, though, of our limits. And Lord, for the limits we're struggling to receive, I pray that you would give us, the, grant us the gift of acceptance. For limits you're calling us to break through, give us the gift of faith, give us courage. And Lord, as we navigate life, as we go forward and encounter so many demands and requests and needs, give us discernment to know what we're called to and what we're not. Is this a limit I need to receive or a limit I need to break through with your help? Teach us to live in the limits you've given us. In Jesus' name.